Yo, what up, all, everyone? Hey, how's it going? This is a little spooky podcast about things that spook us a little bit, like aliens, scripteds, conspiracies, or when you're working on some homework and you've been procrastinating really, really long, and then, oh, it's due two hours ago. My name is Everett. And I'm Colleen, and my motto was do later, do later. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk about something before we talk about what you have to talk about today. Okay. How do you feel about Lil Nas X's new song? I like it. The song or the video? Both. I, okay. I like the song. I do really like the video, the artistry of the video. I feel a butt coming. No, I don't. There's no. That's what he said. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For those that don't know, Lil Nas X is an openly gay black man that released a video that pissed off a bunch of right wingers and Christians across the nation a couple days ago. And I just love watching them writhe. I feel like those people would have been riled up no matter who did it. But the fact that he's a gay black man makes it a hundred times more intense regardless everyone's mad because he goes to hell has sex with satan kills him and then becomes the king of hell I which mean, i think is awesome and metal as that's and, not brutal then i don't know what is yeah and i don't know i just think it's funny but i also think it's funny how everyone hates it well my favorite is that christian groups are paying for advertisements mm. before his song on youtube <laughs> And they're just funding his music (laughs) video. They're funding the satanic music that's coming out. (laughs) I don't know. I just wanted to talk about it because I think it's hilarious. But yes. So what are we talking about today? We are talking about something that is in no way related to that at all. Sure. We are talking about the legend of Polybius. Now, I know you know what this is because you are a video game nerd. I mean, I don't think that's synonymous with knowing what Polybius is. No, no, no. But I am completely removed from video game culture in general. Like, I don't... I have passing knowledge about pop pop culture. Okay. Video game related. I mean, I wouldn't even call this part of video game culture. This is just conspiracy corner in general. I mean, it has to do with a video game. But, like, I mean, you don't have to play, you know, Mario or Halo or... Call of Duty to know what Polybius is. No, but this is the first I'd ever heard of it. And I thought I was like finding something new and exciting that you and nobody else had ever heard of. But then I mentioned it to a people and they were like, oh, yeah, that story. Right on, man. Yeah. So I, I researched the story. I read the story. The overall feeling when I first started researching it is that this like. The consensus is everybody thinks this is a hoax. But digging deeper, there's some interesting evidence that I don't that I hope you haven't heard yet. And the thing is, even if it is a hoax, there are elements of history that point to something similar to it potentially being true. Nuggets of truth. Yes. Okay. so here's the legend for people who have not heard it before. In the fall of 1981, a mysterious arcade game began popping up in the suburbs of Portland, Oregon. This tall, unmarked black machine played a game called Polybius, made by a company called Sinislotion. The game was a kind of puzzle-solving shooter game featuring bright geometric shapes and colors. 
And it was described as being kind of like Tempest or maybe a like precursor to Tempest or a mod of Tempest, somehow related to Tempest, similar to Tempest. Okay. The game was considered to be addictive. People would line up around the block to get a chance to play it. And once they started to play it, it was hard to tear them away from the machine. Like Pringles. Yeah, once you pop, just can't yeah. stop. <laughs> At this, like, on the surface doesn't seem that interesting. Like, arcade game kids want to play, kind yeah. of addictive. That acts like cocaine, yeah. Well, I mean, in the 80s, I feel like parents were always like, you're, if you watch too much TV, your eyes will fall out. Yeah, like, guess. that sort of thing. Yeah. But people started to to report, like, interesting, weird things about the game. One kid reported that they could see grotesque faces hidden in the game. Another reported that hidden within the music, they could hear a woman screaming and crying. Uh. Yeah, like that. <laughs> so it wasn't, you know, too horrifying. Uh. <laughs> Other people reported subliminal messages hidden within the puzzles. And not long after those reports, kids actually started experiencing emotional and physical side effects after playing this game. So a lot of kids reported nightmares and headaches. Others reported seizures, hallucinations, blackouts, temporary amnesia. Some people have reported that their children committed suicide after playing the game. And two kids reportedly even disappeared after playing it. You know what this reminds me of? Hmm. Are you familiar with the similar in uh similar like it's video game related the urban legend about the original pokemon game and how it kind of caused kids in japan to do the same thing with, no. with uh the song music that was kind of creepy from lavender town and it was like distorted like if you listened to it with headphones like it, it was almost like mono and mono but not stereo so it was like i don't know interesting it's, but like reported giving kids headaches and wanting to commit suicide and stuff like that. Huh. Well, I'll get into like the physical side effects and what might have caused those. The the suicidal ideations is a little bit suspicious. Yeah. Anyways, that's just the first part of the legend. The second aspect of this is that at the few arcades that this uh what what do you call it? Machine cabinet cabinet that's the word that this cabinet showed up at um men in black would show up we are men in black galaxy defenders oh those men in black I what know. are they doing here well they would come to service that machine and that machine only but one arcade owner said that he watched these gentlemen gentlemen look at the machine and all they did was turn the machine on download all of the player information and then leave what does that look like in the 80s when you go to download something from know. an arcade cabinet i don't know like are there like discs involved and you just uh, take them i don't yeah i'm not sure like how do you make a copy i don't know I don't, they, if we're floppy discs out yet anyways they would, like, copy the information and somehow gather all of the information and leave. Maybe they wrote it down on a piece of paper. And they just looked at the initials of the high scores. I don't know. But the prevailing theory behind this legend 
is that the government commissioned this game as a psychological experiment mm. or to test the skills of children that could be recruited as soldiers. Super soldiers. Or advanced thinkers during the Cold War. Did you ever read Ender's Game? Um, no. Okay. Well, oh, oh, I'm sorry. For some reason, I thought you were going to ask, have you ever read Ready Player One? No. I don't know why I thought that, but yes, I have read Ender's Game. That's like loosely based off of this legend. Oh, really? Yeah. Wait, no, I thought it would be the other way around. No. Ender's Game was written well before this legend. I don't think so. Okay. Okay, you know what? I'm I'm going to admit that I don't actually know when it was. I written. mean, it was written. Before I don't know the what's 80s. what's based off of what, but the point is they use video games to fight intergalactic enemies, right? And the kids that are playing them don't know that that's what they're doing. They just think they're training, right? But spoiler alert: in the end, it turns out they're actually fighting. So that's kind of what the the background like people believe might have been the purpose of these mysterious arcade cabinets. Okay. Also, Ender's Game came out in 1985, by the way. Okay, so I was right. Well, came I mean, out around the same time. I, I already, okay. I was just going to say, I thought this legend became a thing in like 2003. No, 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 no. It started in 1981. Okay. I, I'll get to the that, what you're thinking of soon. Okay. Okay. So, oddly, after... A month after the game showed up in these arcades, it disappeared. Some people have actually tried to recreate the game from memory. From memory? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't around that long, so I'm sure they haven't been very successful. And the original ROM has never been located. So there's no actual proof that this game ever existed. Sure. As with every good legend. On the surface, this sounds just like an awesome... Urban legend. Awesome. I mean, it's one of the cooler urban legends, I think. You know, compared to like Hook Hand Man and I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think this, I mean, I, and I know you said it's similar to Ender's Game, but I mean, if this was the start of a movie, it'd be a pretty good hook. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure there are movies that oh. have used this as inspiration. Sure. Yeah. But I mean, it sounds like an urban legend. It sounds too ridiculous to me. Like, it doesn't sound believable, but. There are so many people who insist that not only have they played the game, but they've experienced the actual after effects. But is this like a Mandela effect? So I don't, I mean, I feel like everybody knows somebody who played the game. But it was only in the Northwest, though. Yep. Suburbs of Portland and very few. So there weren't. Well, so everyone doesn't know someone. Right. But I mean, maybe in the area. If if you do research, it sounds like everybody knows somebody whose uncle played the game. Or like, you know what I mean? Or like, I heard a kid at my high school played this and blah, blah, blah. Do you think people just go and do that? Go and tell lies on the internet? I don't know. I don't want to believe it's true, but I think you're right. Anyways, I've got actual witness testimony. Would you like to hear it? Yes. Okay. So Radiotopia has a podcast out, like a short miniseries called the Polybius Conspiracy Podcast. And they interview a man named Bobby Feldstein, who retells the story of his connection to the game. Hmm. At the end of October in 1981, Bobby Feldstein was 14 years old. And he was kind of like the nerdy outcast kid at school. Okay. But 
his like element was arcade games and he would frequently hang out at this place um, called Coin Kingdom and was like it's a cool name top of every cabinet like he was the top score of every game what, what were his initials B-U-C just butt <laughs> is that what you would have picked probably yeah. <laughs> I would have done ass because it's because you're crude and- yes anyways he was like the top of every game he was known to be like popular but only in the coin kingdom like it was his it was jam. his kingdom it was his kingdom yeah and he had all the coins Give me the coins. <laughs> so the mysterious cabinet appeared at Coin Kingdom one day in fall of 1981. So he was intrigued. He wanted to be the first one to play it. So he went up, stepped up, started playing it. And it's his kingdom and there was an invader. Right. So he had to investigate. Yes. He must conquer all unknown cabinets. The thing is, that in itself isn't strange because unmarked cabinets showing up in an arcade in the 80s isn't that unusual i don't think it would be either yeah no i del- developers would send out prototypes yeah or like they I, bobby himself said like the same game would come back in a different cabinet with a different name yeah. like it was just kind of how they the test market right so it wasn't weird to him that just an unmarked cabinet would be there it sounds weird reading it as part of the urban legend but if you're a kid in the 80s at the arcade it's like well, I mean, it's, I mean, we have the internet now, so they do the exact same thing now, but it's just like beta releases of right. online games. It's the same thing. They just had to put it in an arcade somewhere. Right. Bobby describes this game as being completely different from any other game that he played. Next gen. He said that he generally was just the sort of person when he sat down to play a game, like it just came naturally to him. Some people have good... Well, and game I mean, skills. But this is also 1981, so I mean, all of the arcade games that have come out by this time are very similar in style. Sure. Too. So if you're good at one, you you probably have the the basics of of pretty them much down. all of them. Yeah. yeah. This game, he said, was different. He was not good at it right away, and it was frustrating him. He said it wasn't intuitive, and instead of a joystick, the control panel had a dial that you were supposed to use, like a number pad. Wait, what do you mean dial? A, he just had a dial, like which a, like a turny button. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's what I envision. He says it was obviously a space shooting game, but the graphics were like really abstract, bright colored geometric shapes and patterns that didn't make sense. And over the course of a week, he went after school and he played it all the time. Like he wanted to be the best at it because he's the coin king. Yeah. So he eventually got like deeper and deeper and deeper into the levels. And he says that the deeper he got into the game, the more addicted he got into it until he was spending every free second and coin at the coin. <laughs> yeah, where is he getting all that money from? I don't know. He was he says he was just hunched over the game and this went on for multiple weeks. Over time, his eyes started to hurt. And he said that, quote, things started coming loose in my head. Like popcorn starting to go off in my head. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> one, Does not sound good. Go no. I mean, I would stop at that point. But at one point, he reaches a level, the farthest he's ever gone in these weeks of playing. And the entire screen is black except for his character in the center. Okay. He's getting attacked by invisible enemies that he had to shoot at, but you can't see them. Sure. So it's literally just him 
shooting at random, there's no way for him to win. Yeah, hard mode. Yeah, you can't see what's coming at you or where or how many there are. So, you know, he died. Uh-huh. In that Bye. level. Bye. <laughs> at this point, it's late. He's He has to go home. And he started feeling sick after that level. Like, his, he says his legs were really heavy and he felt nauseous. Die in the game, you die for real. I, that's kind of what it seems like. So he dragged himself home and he just, like, went up and he passed out in his room. Hours later... He woke up and he went downstairs to get a drink of water because his mouth is really dry. And he felt weird. He said he described it as like an uncanny valley feeling like he knew he was in his own house. He recognized everything, but it didn't feel like his own house. Mm-hmm. You know, like um, Coraline, the other mother, yeah. like looks just like her, but it's not her. Right. It's almost like he traveled to a different dimension or something yeah that's the vibe that i got when he was describing it either way there was nothing he could do about it so he ignored the feeling he assumed it was because he was tired and thirsty and didn't feel good so he he went to the sink got his glass of water and as he looked out the window to his left he saw three men standing outside the window just in his yard staring at him silently cool get off my lawn So they stared at him and they slowly walked towards the house and he could not move. He heard them opening the front door and he tried to turn his head to look towards the door, but he found that he was completely paralyzed. He panicked. He tried to scream to his parents. No sound came out. He says he tried dropping the glass of water just to make noise to get somebody's attention and he couldn't move his fingers. At that point, these three men grabbed him, and he noted that one of the men had, a, like, a weird hand, and it didn't have all of its fingers. Oh, yeah. And then he passed out, of course. Sounds, like, very similar to sleep paralysis, other than the fact that he was standing in his kitchen. Yeah. Like, couldn't move. Someone entered his house. Mm-hmm. That's not the end of the story. Even. Oh, well. Okay. So he came to in the dark, and he had a gag in his mouth. And when his eyes adjusted to the dark, he saw a shape come up to him and say, shh, we're going to get out of here. It was another boy around his age. So like 14, 15 year old boy. The other boy untied him. He says that he was tied. He wasn't sure what he was tied to because it was pitch black, but he was tied by some sort of like weird vines or ropes or some sort of like natural material. Weird. And the boy, like, it takes a couple of minutes. The boy unties him and he just says, run. And they ran and ran down a tunnel. They found out they were in a tunnel. So they ran towards, like, the tiny light in the distance to get out of the tunnel, obviously. They get there. They climb out of this hole into the blinding daylight. And when Bobby saw the kid finally, like, in the light, he saw that this kid was, like, beat up. And, like, emaciated, scratched, cut, everything. It was just, like, he'd been in this tunnel for a long time and stuff had happened to him. Who knows? And as they were running, they felt these people, like, were behind them, like, chasing them. Sure. So they split up. Like, there was no time to, like, make a plan. They just both, like, went off in different directions at a certain point. And, yeah. and he was so terrified that he didn't even want to look back so he finally made it to a hiking trail that led him to a highway 
and he had to walk several miles to a gas station to call his parents. Whoa. So he was missing for an entire day. This is this actually happened. Oh, the, really? The like the, the, the it's documented that he was missing, missing for, an, for entire an entire day. day. His parents were terrified. They had the police out looking for him. And he was discovered the next day, 60 miles away from his house in Tillamook Forest. He was covered in dirt. His clothes were all ripped. He was barefoot, covered in cuts. And he told this exact unchanging story to the cops like seven or eight times. But obviously no one believed him. Crazy. He was just, it was like he was telling, you know, like a little kid and the parents are like, yeah. sure. And he said that this, this like put a rift between him, him and his parents because his parents assumed he was just lying to them or covering something up. And it was just huh. for the rest of his relationship with his parents. He's like, it was like I lived with them and then, and then he left. we were, our, we were roommates. Right. Yeah. The owner of Coin Kingdom also, like, chimed in and said he didn't remember a game like that ever existing. So, I mean, obviously that doesn't lead to Bobby's story being credible. But maybe the owner of the arcade is trying to cover it up. Yeah. Maybe he's involved. Getting some money on the DL. Yeah. Well, parents, after this, stopped letting their kids go to Coin Kingdom. I think people didn't believe him, but they were also, like, something... Weird happened. Well, that's interesting, though, because, I mean, even if you, like, if you just didn't think the arcade had anything to do with it, he was abducted from his own home. Mm -hmm. Why would the arcade have anything to do with that if well, you don't believe that the game was never there? Well, a lot of people thought at the time that the owner of Coin Kingdom was maybe doing weird stuff oh. with the kids. Yikes. And, like, okay. maybe this was his story that he came up with to protect himself yeah. that sort of thing so parents stopped letting their kids okay. go there sure. it ended up closing and a month later the owner that was basically i mean nobody pressed charges against him there's no evidence against him but everybody kind of vilified him with it. yes yeah. he died a month later in a drunk driving accident where he hit a tree but there were some unexplained tire marks from a second car at the scene. But nobody looked into it. They were like, well, child molester's dead. Huh. So, so, I mean, it sounds like someone drove him off the road or something then, but mm -hmm. he was also drunk? Like, were they able to confirm he was drunk? That I don't know. This was all relayed by Bobby Feldstein himself. Every time you say his name, I, I, for, I think you're going to say Bobby Fisher. <laughs> no so this is unrelated this this kid is not that kid but that's the story of bobby feldstein's abduction hmm. now as you mentioned it sounds a lot like sleep paralysis the story of the beginning of the abduction yeah, the, the bits and pieces uh -huh. sound like it yeah so his argument is that this did not happen to it more than once it happened one time i mean his argument is that if you have sleep paralysis, it's generally something that occurs more than once. But mm. we talked about that in our Sleepy Time yeah, Scaries, it's, and it's it can a, happen to anyone. It can happen to anyone, and it's kind of, if the data is accurate, it's about half and half one-offs to the people that have it or recurring. So, Right. So, so I mean, his either. argument that it happened one time doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. But how could he have gotten 60 miles away? Yeah, that doesn't make sense. So... 
people generally assume that he just ran away and then got scared being alone yeah. and decided to call his parents for help. Or maybe he was trying to run away or something and then got cold feet. Yes. Problem is, he wasn't wearing shoes. So his feet were open and cold. <laughs> Technically cold feet. <laughs> he didn't pack anything. He didn't even bring his bike. Would you think if he was running away on purpose, he'd pack something, yeah. undies, a toothbrush, or he'd at least take his bike? Like you would, he it, he made it sound like he took his bike everywhere. Like he would ride the sure. cone. Like he made it sound like it was very odd to him. Why wouldn't he take his bike? Right. Which is true. But it's been 30 years since this has happened and no it's been one. 40 years. It has been 40 years. Yeah. Man. Getting older. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't 1990, 10 years ago. Nope. <laughs> the thing is, he had that eyewitness, the second boy who was with him, but nobody's ever come forward to claim like that they're that missing boy. And nobody has ever come forward to claim that like they were in a car and helped him run away. Sure. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like he could be lying, covering something up and somebody could have given him a ride and then he got cold feet and they dropped him off at a gas station so they wouldn't get in trouble. That but, sort of yeah, thing. But no proof nobody has like ever that. said, like you would think at least in all of this time, someone would have come forward and been like, yes, I drove him to the forest or I drove him to that area 60 miles away. Right. So, I mean, I'm sure it's possible he could have walked barefoot 60 miles to the Tillamook Forest, but like it just doesn't. But in the, just that day, though? I don't think so. Yeah, I mean, it It does not that's seem. A, that's a long walk for how old was he, 14 at the mm -hmm. time? Yeah, I yeah. don't think so. And he, I mean, listening to him tell the story, that's not what happened. Right. He was abducted right. and he ran away down a tunnel. So now as an adult, people still don't believe him. Sure. I mean, like the this um, Polybius conspiracy podcast interviews like childhood acquaintances and current acquaintances. He's kind of a loner um, and it, nobody really believes him. OK, but he is so convinced that this happened to him that he started a popular walking tour of Polybius. So like like arcades that it was played at he takes people to the old coin kingdom and that like just a walking tour of what happened to him when he was abducted sure. like the places okay. he knows that he was okay and you know this draws in nerds like myself who like a conspiracy theory so like if I, you're in portland and you've got a couple bucks to spare you just take and this dude's walking yeah, tour. you don't mind meeting up with some guy that you yes well i mean he it's a he, it's a legal business now it's not oh, okay. just like a guy on craigslist <laughs> okay. who's like hey i was <laughs> i was abducted anyways it sounds like he's trying to monetize this story really with his new business but he apparently makes no money from these tours like the money is used essentially just to keep the tours running sure yeah the purpose, he says, is he's trying to search for anyone. Like, if anybody's interested in this tour, they're interested in the story. And if people are interested in the story, maybe they know somebody or something that could corroborate any part of his story. Right. Because he needs something. The thing is, he's actually really skeptical 
about people who tell him like, oh, I played the game or like my uncle played yeah, the game. Yeah, he doesn't want people to mess with him. Or... Right. He's like, yeah, I mean, everybody says that. I'm looking for proof, you know. He gets all kinds of weird conspiracy theorists that take this tour. But one day at the end of a tour, one guy hung back until everybody else on the tour left. And he showed Bobby a newspaper clipping of Coin Kingdom in 1981. And it was just a picture of a bunch of kids playing arcade games. Yeah. And Bobby immediately points to a kid in that picture and says, that's the kid who was with me. Mm-hmm. So he was a local, too. For some reason, I was thinking maybe he was from like a completely different area of the state, which is why no one knew who he was. I mean, it's possible, but... Here's the thing. We know we've like now that he knows this picture, he could track down who was the kid that helped him. Right. So the kid who is now a man, his name, Mark Sims. Mark had recently disappeared on a work trip to Portland for business. Okay. The man that showed the picture to Bobby was actually... Mark's, they call him his partner. So, boyfriend. Oh, Lover. Okay. But he refers to himself as partner. I always thought partner was a very strange term. Like, why wait, not call him your boyfriend or... Wait, so I'm, I'm confused, though. So this guy that shows him, like, he was trying to, like, get him to possibly remember the... So... Remember Mark? So Mark had disappeared on, on a trip to Portland. Okay. When he never returned home, his partner noticed that Mark had taken thousands of dollars out of their joint account. Okay. And he canceled his phone and his credit cards. Mm. So he he just disappeared. And then he called Mark's work and they told him, we don't know what you're talking about. He had no trip to Portland scheduled at all. What year is this? I'm sorry. This, I'm not sure. Like, probably early 2000s. Okay. Because you said cancel credit cards and um, yeah. phone. Yes, yeah. this is like... More recently. Okay. They didn't give a specific... Well, I'm, I'm, I was just wondering how recent, because it's like nearly impossible now to get off the grid. And it sounds like he successfully did it. Yeah. I mean, my guess is that this was early 2000s. Okay. Okay. So, basically, Mark's gone without a trace. He doesn't contact his boyfriend. He doesn't contact his work. He's gone. He took his money. He canceled everything. He's disappeared. Mark's Partner was not, like, super close to Mark's family. I mean, I don't, I think maybe they had met once or they hadn't met or sure. they weren't approving of yeah, the lifestyle. Maybe, yeah, or they just, they weren't in contact. But about two weeks after Mark disappeared, Mark's sister sent the partner uh, that newspaper clipping with Mark playing the game at Coin Kingdom. Hmm. And then he went to show Bobby... And then Bobby immediately pointed to Mark in the picture. I wonder why the sister gave the article. that She must have known something, too, about this whole situation. Yeah, I'm not sure. I have no idea. So, mysterious disappearance. Picture gets sent to boyfriend. Boyfriend's trying desperately to find Mark. Right. So, he goes to Portland and somehow he ends up on this Polybius walking tour. Now, there's more to this story. It turns out there are tunnels underneath the building that used to be Coin Kingdom. 
they're actually alleged to be part of Portland's infamous and also urban legend, the Shanghai Tunnels. Have you ever heard of those? No. Um, essentially, and I didn't study too much into this, but I think it was at the time it, they were used for abduction and human trafficking taken to different ports. People, okay. Some sort of nefarious sure, human trafficking sure. purpose this, these tunnels were allegedly used for. According to Bobby, though, he believes that this tunnel system was used by whatever organization abducted him and was in charge of Polybius. And as of right now, Mark has not been found. Wow. So, we have some background on Mark that may change your mind a little bit about the mystery of this. Well, and also, I just want to say first, too, if he canceled all of his stuff, he... And, like, took money out of their joint account. He was planning on leaving. Yeah, potentially. Right. Or if he was abducted, somebody made him do it. True, yeah. Here's an interesting thing about Mark. He was a former drug addict. Okay. So that could have something to do with it. Like, maybe. he had been sober for a while, but, like, you know, maybe he... Relapsed. Relapsed. And then, you know, was ashamed or just wanted to get away. Sure. And took money and disappeared. Maybe. Maybe. That could be it. But then how and why did a random man in Portland, Bobby, recognize Mark's picture at the Coin Kingdom? And how did that picture even come to be? Like, why was it yeah. there? Like, why was it sent? Yeah. So Mark's partner gave an interview in the same show that Bobby did, The oh. Polybius Conspiracy. Okay. He recounted a very strange incident that happened two weeks before Mark disappeared. He woke up in the middle of the night and noticed that Mark wasn't sleeping next to him. Mm -hmm. And he was like, that's weird. Let me just go check on him. So he, he got up and he found Mark standing on the ledge of an open window in the apartment. When he tried to talk to Mark and like get him to come down and like, you know, lead him down, talk him down. It, he found out that Mark was, like, sleeping, but awake. Like, he was sleepwalking, but his eyes were open. Weird. Like, like he that. wasn't speaking coherently. It wasn't like he was high, because I will also point out that um, Mark's partner was a former drug user as well. Like, they had actually met through a sure. NA program. Okay. So, I mean, I think he would have mentioned if he thought Mark was right. high. And, but it was like a weird trance. But it was something. like, yes, he was like sleepwalking with his eyes open and he was talking. And the only thing he kept saying over and over and over again was, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, they're coming. And then, you know, the partner would be like, who? And he would just be like, they. Polybius is coming. Yeah. So that's interesting. Now, yeah, that's you, weird. you could take these stories multiple ways. I mean, there's no way... To definitively prove or disprove any of this. I yeah, because there's no corroboration. Right. I mean, there's the interesting fact that a man named Mark has gone disappearing and somehow he got weirdly connected to Bobby at Coin Kingdom, who was also abducted. Like right. they both may have been abducted. Crazy. It's crazy. The thing is, Bobby could obviously be making up a story for attention. Possibly, yeah. Or any reason, really. Mark's partner is so desperate to find Mark. I mean, he could believe anything. It seemed kind of like you could tell him anything. 
And this might be like the one story he has left to grasp onto, like his last connection to Mark. Sure. So there's that. But still, very odd the way that these two people were brought together. Like, why would Bobby know Mark? Why would Mark go dis- like disappear? Yeah. Was Mark actually the kid that was abducted with Bobby? Was Bobby actually abducted? There are way too many questions here. And he's been missing for almost roughly 20 years, maybe. As far as I understand, he's still gone. Right. We know that. But I'm just wondering, like, so you don't know the exact year he disappeared, but it was early 2000s. So it's been about 20 years. Yes. Close to. Mm -hmm. Okay. So there's the eyewitness accounts. Had you heard that story before? Did you know that? No. Okay. Well, no way to prove or disprove that. But. If it is just a story, say Bobby made everything up, whatever, his whole experience. If it is just a story, how did it spread? Like, what is it based on? Mm-hmm. Know what I mean? Right. It's actually based on several facts at the time that make this seem like such a realistic story. I mentioned before, unmarked video games would actually show up in arcades. Right. Uh, you know, people were used as test markets. So so that would actually happen. That's not out of the realm of possibility. The question of kids getting sick after playing it. I mean, there are. That's definitely possible, too. Yes. I mean, there's plenty of rumors about specific episodes of TV shows that's that have caused even, kids to yeah, have epileptic That's fits. not even rumors. That's proven. Right. Like certain colors at going at certain like. What, speeds. What, or, yeah, speeds, whatever rate it would be. Um, will cause seizures or just feeling nausea too. Right. And one of the things that people um, complained about was like headaches, nightmares. That's not weird. I mean, especially if you're playing like a shooter game or you've been staring at a screen all day and your eyes hurt and yeah, you get I mean, tired. If, like if that was like uh, had a strobing effect and maybe there was subliminal things in that game with like actual scary faces or something too. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why they were having nightmares. Right. So, I mean... Injury or illness related to video game habits isn't wasn't even uncommon at the time. There's a true story of one kid who got severe stomach pains after playing an arcade game for 28 hours straight. But it's due to the fact that the only thing he consumed during those 28 hours was Coca-Cola. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so and there have been tons of complaints of headaches, eye pains. Again, not unusual i get headaches from staring at a computer all day mm-hmm. like my eyes start to hurt if i've been staring at the screen all day so um you know and I, i'm wondering if if kids parents in the 80s would like tell them like there's been a kid who died playing this like as a deterrent to playing video games oh, for sure. so much yeah. you know what i mean like wait, if you if your face if you make that face it'll get stuck like yeah, that the same type of thing for sure yes There was an 18-year-old at the time who died in Illinois of a heart attack while playing a game. But again, I would assume he had some kind of underlying condition. For sure. But I mean, I mean, I think it's definitely possible for a game to trigger something like some sort of response. But I mean, I'm sure it's not the only cause. Right. So uh, that's where that aspect of the legend could come from. You've got a mysterious black arcade cabinet. You've got kids getting sick or injured from playing too much so that's not unreasonable yeah i think the that whole idea it's definitely something that could have happened the the questions come from the weirdness after the fact right the men in black so i have an answer for that too arcades in the 80s apparently 
were not like the fun, safe places that I assumed they were. No, of course not. <laughs> I mean, when, you, when I think of an arcade, I think of like I mean, kids playing video games. Well, right, but also like kids that don't have their parents with them, and the only adult nearby is the one that owns the store that's also a child molester. Right. So apparently, drugs, stolen goods, prostitution were all like oh, yeah. run through video game arcades. For sure. And in the 1980s, the FBI in particular was investigating Portland arcades. They found out that some owners were running illegal gambling rings. So kids may have seen FBI agents staking out these oh, I see. these okay. um, arcades and taken that to mean that men in black. Because they were, FBI agents would go turn on arcade machines to find people's initials to deter, like, try to track people down. So if people used their real initials, then mm. they might be able to use that as some sort of evidence. I mean... <laughs> I just love imagining, like, a couple agents from the FBI are trying to track someone down with the initials ASS. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, that could be the men in black. So, I mean, you've got these things all actually happening that, too, like, an impressionable kid totally makes sense as being connected. Because yeah. it's all weird. And how did this get connected to a government conspiracy? MKUltra had recently been declassified. Information about MKUltra had recently been declassified. In 81? Um, actually, the fa- MKUltra became known to the general public in 1975. Really? Yeah, I thought it was later too, but I did some research oh. about MKUltra as well. So if you don't know what MKUltra is, the government was actually testing and experimenting with mind control and psychic abilities on unsuspecting citizens in, I believe, like the 50s and 60s. It officially ended in 1973. It came to light to the general public that these sorts of things were happening in 1975. And the government used a variety of Drugs. I would call it torture methods. Yes, like forcing LSD upon soldiers and yes, trying and, to create a super soldier, basically. Right, and they often used businesses as fronts to get test subjects. Yeah. So now you've got mysterious machines, men in black, people getting sick from video games, and the actual possibility that the government is using regular businesses as fronts to experiment on American citizens. And that's not a conspiracy. That's true. The only conspiracy is that MKUltra continued after 72 or whatever. Right. Or even even if MKUltra is done, maybe there's another government program that is right. using video games as sure. their... You know, like it's not out of the realm of possibility because at one point in time, the government was trying to figure out psychic abilities through LSD on random people. Right. So I can definitely see where this urban legend might come from. And honestly, it's not that out of the realm of possibility. And and we've briefly mentioned it, too, but I think an also huge possibility, maybe even more likely, would be sex trafficking mm-hmm. because i mean if there's two these two boys met each other and they've been you know held captive after being abducted mm-hmm. and that's an issue and there, there's these tunnels that you spoke of too maybe they were used to you know smuggle kids out of arcades yeah mm-hmm. so i don't know 
that's possible too. So, how did this story actually spread? Because in the nineteen, this this was an urban legend in the eighties, but it generally stayed around the Portland area because right. you know the internet wasn't like a comet. People weren't posting things on boards that it could be seen by people around the world. The legend as we know it now dates back from a post on a website called coinop.org. In 1998, a German poster called CyberYogi posted about a game called Polybius. And this caused more attention to come to the story, like a little outside of Portland. And obviously this is due to the fact that the internet could just spread things to people farther away who don't know each other. So around 2006, and this is probably where you thought that it originally came from, a man named Stephen Roach posted the story claiming to be the man that created the company, Sinishlosen, that made Polybius. Sure. So his claim was that a company in the American South commissioned his company, Sinishlosen, to create a game that was meant to be top of the line and top of the line, top of the line in graphics and gameplay. And it was meant to be addictive, not like crack addictive, but like they wanted people to play the game and keep playing it because that's how they make money. Right. The coins in their machines. So Polybius was chosen as the name by just a member of this company because it sounded mysterious. Sure. But apparently... One kid in their test market in the suburbs of Portland suffered an epileptic fit from the game, which, as we've discussed, not out of the realm of possibility. But it wasn't nefarious. He just the game caused him to have an epileptic fit. Right. And I think the studies of epilepsy involved with video games like hadn't happened yet. Right. So I think people made a very big deal about it. And so the the company Sinislotion decided to just pull like pull the game. Sure. That's why it's you can't find it anywhere. It's just been there were only a few cabinets made right. and they destroyed them or whatever. That that's it though. It was just a game, an innocent game made by a company that happens to have the wrong effect on a test market member that they pulled and that's it. Sure. However, there's no way to prove this guy's claims because right. he says that Sinish lotion I'm so sorry. I have no idea how to pronounce this. Sinus Lotion disbanded soon after they pulled the game. Okay. Um, And there's no existing copies of the game. And I mean, we don't even know that this guy's real name is Stephen Roach. It's a guy who just posted on a yeah. message board. I'm assuming it's not. Well, here's the interesting things about this story. Sinus Lotion is a bastardization of two German words that mean something like sensory removed. So you can kind of see like why he might have picked that name. Yeah. And do you know who Polybius is? Who? Yeah. No. So Polybius is a Greek historian and he wrote a series of history books called The Histories. He was most well known. His like claim to fame was his insistence that you should never, ever write a historical story or account without first interviewing eyewitnesses. 
So everything has to be corroborated with actual provable fact. And the fact that the video game is named after him is kind of one of the biggest ironies of all. That this was created maybe as a social experiment to see how far something, a story would go without people actually corroborating the facts. You know, a social experiment is just a polite way of saying prank. Right. (laughs) But Cyber Yogi himself, even, not Stephen Roach, but Cyber Yogi was known to be an internet trickster at the time. Like, he would pull these kinds of pranks. But there was actually a guy who existed in real life named Stephen Roach, and he ran behavioral modification programs for a company based in Mexico. Could that information have been looked up, though, for that guy to find? Uh, Potentially. So this guy ran a child reform academy that used brainwashing and behavior modification techniques. Like, they attempted mind control experiments on kids, deciding, like, when they're allowed to sleep, what they're allowed to eat, how much they're allowed to eat. Basic, like, 1980s mind control practices. Or probably even before 1980s. But, you know, like, when you hear about I don't know, terrorists trying to brainwash people by keeping you awake for days at a time. Right. That sort of thing. The government eventually shut down his academy for obvious reasons. Child abuse. And he and his wife went on the run. Nobody knows where they are right now. They've been, they just disappeared. So there is a loose tie between a man named Stephen Roach and child mental experiments. But from what we know right now, none of his actual experiments were digital in any way. So video game kind of would have been out of character. Sure. From what we know. I mean, he's on the run. Who knows? Right. After all of that, what we know about Polybius is nothing. Yeah. And there's no no possible way to prove or disprove this story. Uh, I think that the origins of the story from Cyber Yogi and Stephen Roach very dubious. Right. They're, I think, so I think they're the way it got spread out to the masses today. And but and I, their I, accounts of like describing what Polybius was was all that I knew. I knew nothing about that abduction story or anything. Mm-hmm. So well, and you know what's interesting is uh Polybius, the name didn't even show up until Cyberyogi and Stephen Roach talked about it. Bobby Feldstein never said that the game had a name of any Because it was unmarked. Yep. I mean, unless there is some kind of title screen, but there may not have been either. If he never mentioned one. So, I mean, to, he didn't hear about the name Polybius until 2006. Sure. When that came to light. So, I mean, it could be that his story is true and their stories are fake trying to gain attention. Right. Spreading the story around. I don't know. The thing is, even if it's completely untrue... There are elements based on bizarre real life things that happen that make it so not out of the realm of possibility. Like the fact that MK Ultra existed, the fact that like it was normal for unmarked arcade games to show up. I mean, kids in the 80s, isn't that latchkey kid time? I mean, parents would just like drop yeah. their kids off and be like, okay, come back for dinner. Yeah, for I sure. I mean, they could be doing anything i mean okay here, here's what i think all the internet stuff like mm-hmm. the cyber yogi or whatever his name was and steven roach all of that's 
Polybius. And I'm with you. Opinion. Especially the and that's where the name Polybius comes from. Right. And the name Sinistration, which to me are very obvious like traps. You know, like they put those right. there yeah, on purpose. For sure. Here's what I have to say about the story from Bobby though. I I believe him. I mm. think that all of that stuff he believes it happened. Yes. I from listening to him. What I want to believe is that he's making up a story because that would be the easiest explanation. No, he's stuck with it for four decades. Yes, he's stuck with the story for four decades. And it's the story he told the police in the 1980s when he returned. He did actually disappear and reappear 60 miles away. Yeah, I don't I don't think he tried to run away or anything. Unless this is like maybe he believes it, but it's, he's covering up some sort of other trauma with this That's story. That's exactly what I was getting at. I, uh-huh. I think he was... And I mean, if for some reason he were to listen to this podcast today, I definitely don't mean this in in an offending way. But I think it is extremely more likely that he did have some sort of trauma. Maybe he was abducted for the purpose of a sex trade type thing. And, you know, he kind of just had this false memory of this test game he was playing that he was obsessed with at the or he, time yeah he connected that too right no so he reason. just made a, a fake connection and he did escape with that other kid who has also since disappeared and i have no thoughts on that because that's, that's just weird yes i mean you could all you can write his off as drug addiction related and yeah, not I mean, being connected really, like I mean, just it really doesn't coincidence have to be, i mean i think it is probably a coincidence i mean if they were both him and his partner were, you know, rehabilitated. Uh, he didn't really specify for how long, mm-hmm. but I mean, it sounded uh, like years, right? So I, I mean, a lapse is possible, but that's also kind of insulting too. I mean, they were probably taking it very seriously, and you know, something else could have happened too. Mm-hmm. Well, there's some other elements to Mark's story. Like the boyfriend was cheating on Mark, and Mark caught them. Mm-hmm. So it could be that Mark, like a yeah, maybe wanted to take the money and leave. And yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing is, this boyfriend and I don't have his name. I think they gave him the fake name of Ruben in the um, podcast. Sure, he believes Bobby's story, and I don't know if that's like him feeling. Guilty, guilty because like you know maybe he thinks he drove mark away right or, or something or maybe he honestly genuinely believes it i don't know there's just so a couple of things in this are just too coincidental to be coincidence i, I think <laughs> like yeah i think it's a lot more innocent than you know the the conspiracy makes it out to be i think it probably it makes sense that the fbi was there investigating a sex trade so they're the men in black, mm-hmm. and he was literally just abducted because he's always at this arcade. He's prime pickings for some creep, mm-hmm. and the arcade was shut down later after that incident. Mm-hmm. I think that all adds up and makes the most sense. Which one is spookier, child sex trafficking ring or government conspiracy? The sex ring for sure, because right? and I know you know why really. Why? The government's not good at anything, so if they're trying to actually develop mind control, they're going to be sure that I can see the fact that MK Ultra came out in 1975, just two years after the program ended, kind of makes me sad for the government's 
secrecy skills. Right. Well, it's just like, I mean, even look at our modern government today and their inability to, you know, help people out and right. get them fed during the COVID crisis. So, I mean, yeah, I don't trust that it's a government conspiracy. I think the FBI was investigating a sex ring, which is very sad. And not very spooky spooky at all. I think it's a little spooky. It's more sad than spooky. (laughs) Anyways, that's the legend of Polybius. I was honestly expecting to find one website that had the legend written down and then, like, everybody knows this is bullshit. But no, there's... I mean, like, even if you're not... Even if you completely 100% disagree with that the legend of Polybius is a thing, the elements that make it up are all factual things that have happened. Maybe they weren't all connected, but the fact that all of those things existed and happened, that's spooky. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, there you go. The legend of Polybius. Bobby, I hope you're doing okay out there. I feel bad. He seems, from the interviews I've listened to... Not doing too well. He doesn't seem like he's doing awesome. Yeah, I hope you got. I hope you get better there, buddy, and get some answers. Yeah, but I recommend listening to the. Yeah, what was the name of the? It podcast? was called the Polybius Conspiracy, and it's like a six-part podcast, and it's very interesting. The people who created it are they. They go at it from the perspective that it is bullshit. Oh, really? But okay. their whole thing is they're not necessarily interested in whether or not the story is true. They're trying to figure out what the people who believe it are like and how the, it got spread. And that's honestly just as interesting as the actual story. So mm-hmm. I recommend you listen to it if you're interested in Polybius in general. Yeah, if you enjoyed the content, and I'm sure they took a much deeper dive into yes. certain aspects of the story. Yes, there's there's a lot more detail that I left out in my summary. But yeah. I got you all the important stuff. Yeah. Well, I have something for you. Oh. I have a listener story. This is from Brian. He sent us a story a few weeks ago. It was the story about the the ghost experience slash kind of a shadow person. Yes, 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 yes. He has another story that happened to him more recently, and this one's a little longer, so sit tight. One of my next encounters happened back in 2015. I had just started a new job in the spring of 2015 driving a semi-truck down a 300-mile round-trip delivery route in rural Montana. I deliver to a number of small towns along with a few major cities. Most of the towns and cities in Montana in Montana can be half an hour to over an hour's drive apart, with a lot of open country, farmland, and forest between them. I drove the same roads and delivered to the same stores every night. I delivered auto parts to three of the main auto part companies in the country. I also had not started listening to podcasts yet or have gotten into any paranormal stuff, so I did not have any of that on my mind as I was working that night. It was in the fall of that year in November. I had just started my route heading towards the first town, close to midnight, I think, or a little after. I was only an hour into my work night, the only vehicle on this dark country highway, driving through a large area of farmland. The only lights I could see were from the farmhouses either just off the highway or a few miles away. It being in the fall meant it was the deer rut. Deer hunting season basically meant that the deer were more active and had several close calls over the past week with some suicidal deer running out in front of my truck. Rude. Right. 
I was keeping a close eye on the side of the road as I was making my way down that dark highway. As I was coming up on this one farmhouse just a few hundred yards off the highway, it had one of those big, bright floodlights on a telephone pole in the middle of their driveway lighting up the yard and the driveway. Mm -hmm. As I got closer to the farmhouse, I noticed something at the very edge of the headlights on the side of the road. It looked like it was right in the middle of the driveway as it met up with the highway. At first, it looked like a large black object about four feet tall was my best guess. Now that I'm driving a semi-truck, I'm sitting about eight feet up in the air and have a pretty good height advantage over things. I drove closer to the black object and it appeared to take the shape of a very large dog. And since it looked to be sitting on its haunches in the middle of the driveway for the farmhouse, my first thought it was the farm dog and I'm afraid that it might choose to run out and chase my semi-truck and I did not want to hit some farmer's poor dog. I was traveling at about 60 miles per hour and was closing the distance fast. As I drew closer, getting a better look at it in the headlights, it definitely did have the appearance of a very large black mass of an outline of a dog, but I couldn't make the details inside the black canine form. It just appeared to be a canine shape with a very large shadow that was blacker than black. Ooh, what's that Ooh, color? Vanta black? Yeah, Vanta black. Yeah. That's weird. When I was maybe 50 feet away from it, it started to stand up, and as I was driving by it, it was either going to turn and head back into the farmer's yard or run into the road in front of me. And he didn't know what to do. And he questioned what he truly was seeing on the side of the road. As he was getting closer and closer, it looked like it was starting to stand up on its legs. And then the black shadow dog shape changed into a three foot round sp spherical ball shape that was on a human-sized legs, or a pair of human-sized legs. What? Yeah. Creepy. The best thing I could describe it as was almost like a character from Monsters, Inc., Mike Wazowski. Other than it didn't have any arms, and the legs were much thicker, and it looked to be a perfectly round sphere on top of the legs. I kept on driving trying to figure out what I just saw, or if I should have stopped, and I didn't stop, and I made it to my first delivery stop. I had thought that maybe the shadow dog ball thing might have been my headlights casting a shadow off something on the side of the road, like some trash, or a bush, or a plant along the road or something. Since I would drive by that same spot, the next night I would check that place out again. That's what I did, and there was no shadow dog there the next night or anything that would have been like that shadow. I kept looking for the following week, but never saw it again or anything like it. For six years, I've been doing the same route. Over these six years, I have seen a lot of different animals standing on the side of the road and running out in front of me. Deer, elk, moose, owls, foxes, coyotes, and I'm pretty sure a brown bear running along the road in a canyon road. That black shadow dog thing was just a black shadow with no details to it. I'm still not fully sure what I saw that night. So I found it kind of ironic when you read my story on the, or my first story on the Beast of Bray Road episode. Back on February 19th of this year, I had just started my route and was heading towards that first town to make the first delivery stops. About two miles from where I saw that shadow dog thing five years ago, some large canine ran out in front of my truck as I was driving. As I watched it for the three seconds to make it across the road, the county or the country highway had been wide, made wide to four lanes now. My very first thought as I watched it cross the line was, that's not a coyote. I kept on driving, but then I kept thinking back to what I had seen. It was a large canine, almost wolf-like, gray and white fur, but the fur looked strange on it as it ran across the road. 
I was trying to figure out if it was a wolf that had been much bigger than a normal wolf should have been. It was almost as big as a mule deer, which can stand three to three and a half feet tall at the shoulder. This wolf was about that big. When I got to my first stop, I looked up wolves on my phone to see... Stats. Stats, yes. <laughs> the, pics, the pictures of the wolves had much darker fur than the canine creature that I saw. The fur over the shoulders was much longer and shaggy and looking almost like it was wearing something over its shoulder. Its stomach area was very lean, like, like a greyhound's body, and much more shaggy, long fur over its back hips. I can't remember if I saw a tail or not. It had a wolf-like head, and of all the animals I have seen on my route uh, over these six years, I have never seen a wolf before. I also checked the Montana Wildlife website to see about wolf reports, and there had been none in the area for more than 50 miles or more. I don't know if I did see a very large, weird wolf creature or a dogman-like creature. I was north a few hours of Yellowstone National Park, and there are wolves in Montana, but not normally in this farming area. So he had two separate experiences. Yeah. The the Mike Wazowski creature. That's kind of, that's interesting. And then. I right, mean, they're both interesting, but that was a little well, weird. And then the timing of the second one was right after he listened to our Beast of Bray Road episode. And yes. he saw that wolf creature. That's nuts. Well, okay, so I don't... Have you seen Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Yes. Okay, so you know how they do, like, um, there's, like, cartoon interludes in there. There's there's one, like, cartoon character. I think it's the planets, and it's the planets on human legs. That's what I'm picturing. Let me see if I can find it on my phone. And while you're doing that, I want to say... So Brian sent us that previous story from a few weeks ago, um... And it was where he saw like a shadow blob creature in his in the house he was staying in. And I think he was a kid at the time he had said he's seeing multiple shadow creatures. Yes, that that is interesting. Like, it seems like he has a predisposition for shadowy things. I think I it's fascinating. I mean, even even if what he saw was a wolf, he's got to see some of the coolest stuff driving oh, yeah. on the highways at night. For sure. And I, if you're listening to this now, Brian, well, I hope you're driving safe because I'm guessing there is a lot of wildlife around this time of year. As yeah. Well. Did he say he saw a moose? That would I think be he said, yeah, terrifying. moose, mule deer, elk. Yeah. Yeah. And but back to the, the shadow thing, though, I Sorry, want to touch yes. on that. He saw that as a kid, but then he saw a Mike Wazowski shadow. Yeah. Oh, do you think that Mike Wazowski was trying to scare him as a child to collect his screams to to power their city? (laughs) Maybe. And then he showed back up later to check on him. But it was more canine, like he said, and then it morphed into the ball on human-sized legs. Yeah, that's very, very strange. It's like a werewolf, but it's like half wolf, half moon. Three wolves, one moon. (laughs) No, so like it morphed. It's almost like a skinwalker. That's that's that would stay with me. Like I, I obviously, I mean, I have not been traveling cross country at night often. But when I was a kid, we would drive at night to my grandma's house, and she lives off of like farmland, farmland, dark county highway and then you turn off and there's her house like right and i i mean i don't remember seeing anything odd but it's so 
eerie driving. And you're right. It's just the big like floodlights. That's the only light you have. And when you're not around those, it's just darkness. So all you can see is your headlights. Yeah. Ooh, your job is a little spooky, Brian. Um, And Brian, thank you for sending another story. I really do appreciate it. And I was trying to get through it because um, I didn't want this episode to go too long. So I'm sorry if I butchered it. But I really, really do thank you for sending that in. Yeah. Now I'm going to have to look up Moon Wolf. (laughs) Moon Wolf. Ball legs. Leg ball. Mike Wazowski. <laughs> that's just, that's interesting. I I think it's cooler, like, the the more interesting is the weird Wolfman one that he saw in February. Like, that's very really? Beast of Bray Road to me. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's just a completely different area. So I don't think yes. we can attribute it to being the same creature. It would have to be something else. No, but maybe it's in the same family. Yeah. I mean, I shouldn't say I find that one more interesting, but I find that one more intriguing. I feel like I am of the opposite opinion. Shadow people are more intriguing. To yeah, me. but it's like a ball. Of, I just all I see now is Mike Wazowski. Well, but it was a wolf thing first. Yeah, that's weird. I don't want this to go too long. Okay, yeah, so we sorry. We had, this has been a long episode. Um, if you have a scary story that you would also like to share with us and have us read on the podcast, send it our way. And you can also send uh, episode requests uh, or anything else you would like us to talk about. Uh you can send us a DM on any of our social medias. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram are all at NerdslothHQ. Or you can email us at podcast at NerdSloth.com. Just make sure to write a little spooky in the subject line so we know it's for us and not any of our NerdSloth sisters. And if you like our show or any of our other shows on NerdSloth, consider uh, going to our merch store at t-shirts, hoodies, Stickers, mugs, mm-hmm. lots of other things with our logos. Yeah, cool art. So check us out. And yeah, I, I hope this wasn't too long. Yeah, um, I hope you liked this, this story. I thought it was super interesting. Sorry if it dragged on a bit. But we love you. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye. Presented by NerdSloth, a place for lazy nerds. If you like what you heard, consider donating at patreon.com slash nerdsloth so we can continue bringing you quality shows. Be sure to also leave us a review and share your favorite episodes and clips on social media. If you're looking for more content, visit us at nerdsloth.com.